dedicated to the sixth oldest franchise in minor league hockey. This is the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Here are your hosts, Matthew Harding and the voice of the Wichita Thunder, Jason Mathers. Merry Christmas, hockey fans. Training camp is open and the best eight months of the season just about ready to start. Welcome into the Rolling Thunder Podcast. This is episode number 12 being recorded on the opening day of training camp 2023. Alongside Jason Malls, I am Matthew Harding. So glad you're able to join us wherever you're listening to us from. Thank you very much for the love on the Hockey Podcast Network and for your downloads uh, here as we went through the last couple of weeks. Malsy, how you doing, buddy? Doing all right. How's everything over there in Matthew Harding land? Uh, we're treading water, but we're on the plus side of things, so uh, it can't be about, it can't be all that bad. Can't be. <laughs> I all know that what bad. it feels like, my friend. But you know what? Opening week uh, starts next week, and then you got opening night on the twentieth. So yeah, it's almost here. Yeah, I looked at you this morning as you, as you and I were watching camp. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday night. So Tuesday was the first day of camp where the actual team skated. Uh, I looked at you and said nine days, and you looked at me kind of half-cocked like you, you didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I mean, as of this recording, I, I still feel overwhelmed. Like I have a lot of things to get done, but... Sure. You know, it always happens this way where you feel like you have all kinds of time throughout the course of the summer and then it creeps up on you. But every single uh, summer right after the 4th of July, you blink and then you're in October. So it's just amazing to me that it's gone this quick. But, you know, we're going to get there before we know it. And time's not going to slow down. We're going to have to be ready as we get ready for opening weekend. Yes, yes, absolutely. So uh, here on the podcast tonight, we will... Uh, look at the training camp roster. We'll give you that breakdown, and then we'll uh, take a look at who we think may come out of this roster and and be uh, on the opening night roster for the Wichita Thunder. And then uh, some of the storylines that we're looking at here as we get ready to move into the 2023-24 season. This will be uh, the only podcast we have before the start of the regular season for the Wichita Thunder. So we will uh, break everything down, give you our season preview, and uh, and go from there. And then uh, the week after opening weekend, uh, Malsey and I will reconvene again for another episode of the podcast. It is the goal, our goal, to do uh, one of these podcasts every couple of weeks. So uh, we'll have a guest on each every each and every uh, show. Tonight's guest is Nick Nollenberger, who comes back uh, from the San Jose Barracuda. Uh, he'll join us again uh, for the podcast. A lot happening up there uh, in, in San Jose, and some of those players are starting to filter down to Wichita. So we'll talk to him and get his impressions on some of the Thunder players that were out in California last week. Uh, and then, uh, you know, as we get ready, as we get going here into the season, we'll have some players on, uh, we'll have some former players. We may be looking at some former coaches, things like that. It's, uh, we've got a working list, uh, that we're, uh, we're trying to get guests from and, and, uh, all of that stuff. So, um, bear with us. Our only guest won't be Nick Nollenberger as, as intelligent as he is. Uh, there will be other guests coming up here uh, in the not-too-distant future. But you're right, Malsey. Uh, once we got past the 4th of July, it felt like everything blinked, and here we are uh, sitting here on the 10th of October getting ready to go 
for another hockey season. Um, it felt odd this morning being inside Interest Bank Arena and nobody else being there. It, it felt, um, I, I put it to having camp during the time of COVID where you had to be like 10, 15 feet away from the players and they could, they could be on the ice, but you couldn't be anywhere near them and, and, and things like that. And it's an unfortunate situation that the ice center is only just now getting ice back. Uh, and hopefully the Thunder will be able to practice over there in front of some people uh, here a little bit later this year. But uh, it just had a, a different feel this morning uh, while I was standing there uh, watching practice with uh, you and a few other people. Uh, but man, it felt good to be back at the rink. Yeah, it did. I think it's extremely fitting that we're having our first podcast in the opening night of the NHL. Yeah. As we sit here, there's three games going on and, and Connor Bedard making his NHL debut. But uh, you're right. Uh, it was a little eerie. I think we're so used to being at the ice center, having the fans be able to be in attendance in unfortunate circumstances with the with the ice center going on, uh, you know, throughout the course of the summer. So it's it's a, a tough for us because we understand that the fans like being able to be there and uh, the other thing that's a little bit different this year, Matt, is not having an exhibition game. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that's something that we've had for probably what the last 10 years or so that I've been back with the team and, and not having any ex exhibition game is certainly a, another thing that's really different. But at the same time, it was good seeing the guys trying to get acclimated with themselves. There's a bunch of new faces down there and I can't even uh, recognize half the team. <laughs> yeah, we were, I think we were passing around a, a, a list, a piece of paper that had lists of who wore what numbers, uh, on uh, there this morning. And it was, it was kind of funny. It's, uh, um, it is a definitely a new look team. And if you're, uh, and if you didn't see the entire camp roster, uh, we'll go ahead and give that to you now on defense. At least this is what we have so far. Uh, Dominic Dockery, Jeremy Masella, Xavier Pouliot, Ethan Roswell, Chase Spencer, and Dmitry Yuskevich. There are 18 forwards. Peter Bates, Kelly Bent, Brett Boeing, Dylan Boucher, Jay Dickman, Ryan Finnegan, Gavin Gould, Michael Greco, Cameron Huff, Sam King, Bradley Merrick, sent down from the American Hockey League, Aaron Miller, Tanner Nagel, Jason Pinio, Devin Skoleski, Jake Wallen, Brayden Watts, Mark Zukov, and then two in net, Trevor Gorsuch and Christian Stead, or Christian Steed. Um, Matthew Sreddle and Leighton Moore are likely to make the opening night roster with the San Jose Barracuda. We'll talk with uh, Nick Nollenberger about that coming up here uh, in just a bit. But I think the one thing that stood out to me from, uh, from camp uh, day one on Tuesday morning was, one... This is an incredibly, it was an incredibly physical practice. Um, there were probably four or five huge hits in practice. One where uh, Jay Dickman landed square on his butt. Um, and, there, and then there were several huge hits uh, in the three-on-three -three drill. So an incredibly physical practice. And you it's never one of those, you never want to have a coach tell you, forwards, keep your head up, and defensemen, try not to kill the guy. <laughs> and Bruce Ramsey had to do that. So um, 
everybody's fighting for a spot and the lack of an exhibition game, I think increases that pressure just that much more. hundred percent agree with you. And the funny thing is I had to leave because I had a meeting that had to be on. So I didn't see Jay get hit, but I do remember hearing Bruce say that a couple of times, make sure when you're going through the neutral zone, keep your head up. And you, you would think at this stage of their careers that they don't have to be told that by the head coach, but you know, they, they had certainly had to, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there was pretty good speed. I thought early in the, yes. in the drills, I, I think coach was impressed with some of the, uh, agility and uh speed and and skill of some of the taller players on the team mm-hmm. i know we mentioned something about jeremy Masella and how how big he looks while he's out there on the ice and that was a concern i think coming through the off season as the the defense um was a little bit smaller last year except for a couple of guys and you lost a lot of your defensive core from last season so he was uh I think he liked what he saw from some of the bigger players. And I think also I was impressed with Bradley Merrick. I think for a big guy, he's got pretty good feet and good hands. Yeah. Um, and to your point about Jeremy Masella, again, it's it's only one practice, and I, I kind of want to see him in game shape, uh, which we'll get there here in, in just a few days. But um, he plays a lot like uh, his kin – Ben Masella, very hard off, very hard to knock off the puck, uh, hit you like a ton of bricks. Um, just a, a really, really solid defenseman. And if you put him with Xavier Pouliot there on that back line, maybe top or even second pair, man, that is a really, really nasty D pair to go up against. Dominic Dockery is steady as she goes. Dmitry Yuskevich, I thought, had one of the harder hits. Uh, in the opening day of camp where, uh, and he might've been the guy who put Jay Dickman on his butt and, um, he learned that from his daddy. (laughs) There is no (laughs) doubt. There is no doubt about it. Like, like he learned that from his daddy. Um, uh, and I, I, I think that he's going to be a tough customer as well on that back end. I just, um, you know, those four, I, I still want to see a little bit from, uh, Roswell and Spencer moving forward. I think coach was, uh, pretty high on, on both of those players going up front though, man, it was really cool to see Aaron Miller, uh, work his magic with the puck. He's got some dynamite hands. Um, we saw Jason Penio uh, out there this morning and I'm going to borrow a Chris Sims phrase. Uh, if you listen to him talk at all on, on Pro Football Talk with uh, Mike Florio, you know the phrase uh, that I'm about to say. But Jason Penio plays with a rocket up his ass. He's that fast. <laughs> he's he's just lightning quick. And then Mark Zukov, which you would think since he's from St. Petersburg, Russia, he would have a heavy Russian accent. I listened to him talk. Very fluent in English and not a lick of Russian. In his, in his dialect. Were you trying to ask him to speak Russian? No, no. I okay. he was paired. He was paired into three on three with Yuskevich. Oh, so okay. you would have thought that they would have played, you know, country country mates that they would talk back, you know, talk like that, but in in Russian. But no. Um. So, to me, those were the handful of players that stuck out. That stuck out. 
We didn't see Peter Bates on the ice today. Uh, Braden Watts wasn't uh, on the ice today. Um, uh, trying to think. Boucher. Boucher. Dylan Boucher wasn't on the ice. Uh, there was, and, and there's one more forward who is still yet to be announced who is, uh, was not on the ice today as well. So um, we'll see when you get those four players back in the lineup or back in camp how this how this forward group look, looks. But I think the one thing that Bruce Ramsey was uh, really, really elated about was the fact that he has a very deep forward group and some very tough decisions ahead. Yeah, he's he's going to have tough decisions. And like I said, and I was going to ask you a question after I'm done with this comment about, sure. you know, not having an exhibition game, which sometimes can weed out who you want to keep on, on your team. I, I know Zach Hoffman, for instance, a year ago, ended up earning a spot. And part of that was because of how he played not only in camp, but at the exhibition game. So uh, these are going to be intense practices and they're going to go the full two hours. Typically they don't skate that long until, um, you know, a little bit earlier in the season, but they're going to be going 12 to noon all week this week. And then next week they might pare it down as you get ready for opening night. So I guess we'll have to wait and see how these position battles turn out. But my question to you was going to be, how do you, think not having an exhibition game affects his decision-making, not being able to see them in game situation against another team. Um, I think you'll learn a lot about who is um, catching on to your system and who is hard to play against, especially in those, in that three on three drill. Um, that was, uh, the way that it, the way that they set it up was that it, they brought in the nets all the way to within five feet of the blue line. So um, on the ice this year, there is a best body shop logo about five feet in from the blue line on either side. Uh, best body shop, not a sponsor of the podcast, but I'll take your money. Um, uh, <laughs> so there are there are goals there, and then the players have to play in the neutral zone. So. Um, at one in, and then at one side of the of the uh, rink, you had John Gerskis, uh throwing out pucks, and then you had Bruce Ramsey on the other side. So uh, the the battle was played in the neutral zone, and this game this went on for probably a half hour, um, and you could tell even as even somebody who is who doesn't know what to look for in player development like I do could stand there and say okay this person's running out of gas this person's running out of gas this guy still has the jump this guy understands this guy's got to compete this guy doesn't um and I I think that over the course of the next 10 days up to opening night and I don't think they'll skate opening uh, on on opening night uh on the day of but over the course of the next nine days, let's say, I think it's going to be pretty obvious who is going to separate themselves from the pack and who won't. Um, and I think that you'll find it in these three-on-three drills. How do you handle? Um, how do you handle a little bit of adversity in practice and and things like that? And 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 then how do you mesh as well with the other players who are coming into your lineup uh, as well? So. Um, all of those things I think 
can take the place of an exhibition game. And I think that, um, I think that, that that's where you're going to learn a lot about those players is in, especially in that three on three drill. I, I th- the one thing I just want to make sure that's clear, uh, you know, typically we host an exhibition game. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Wichita did travel to Tulsa two years ago, but because the ice center is dealing with, you know, the situation that it's dealing with, there was obviously no chance that we were going to host an exhibition game at interest. It was just going to cost too much money, you know, to be able to do that. And then, you know, you're talking about spending a couple thousand dollars to travel either to Kansas city, Tulsa or Allen. And all three of those teams already had games scheduled. So it just didn't work out for us this year to be able to play in an exhibition game. So, you know, unfortunately that's the case, but I do believe Bruce knows the, you know, what he's looking for and he can see it in practice, like you said. So some of these guys that might be closer to the bubble, as you're talking about, you know, those drills that are putting guys one-on-one against each other, they're going to have to show that, like you mentioned, that they have that compete level and they have the skill and and want to be able to defeat the other guy as they're going one-on-one. So um, my, my point to all that was I get that fans probably wanted an exhibition game. It just wasn't in the cards this year. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the long and short of it. Unfortunately, um, unfortunately just wasn't able to happen. So um, yeah, the, the practices will continue through the rest of the week at 10 AM and those will go until noon and then uh, next week they'll go from 10.30 to noon, presumably. Uh, and then the rosters will be pared down. Rosters have to be sent into the league by next Wednesday afternoon at 3 o'clock Central. Um, or no, 2 o'clock Central, 3 o'clock Eastern. Uh, beg your pardon. And then those are your opening night lineups. Um, so also keep in mind that... Um, Beck Warm is still en route to Wichita. So uh, he'll be here along with uh, Bradley Merrick, and those will be the two players down from San Jose uh, in the American Hockey League. So for now, anyway, again, uh, Matt Shreddle and Leighton Moore remain up in the American Hockey League with the Barracuda. I, I know there was a question from a couple of people about why we didn't get more players sent to us. And yeah, you know, I know Nick will explain that in a little bit more detail when we bring him on, but um, just to kind of fill people in, the one thing that you cannot account for when you're looking at these rosters, uh, whether it's San Jose's training camp or, uh, you know, the Sharks or the Barracuda is you can't account for guys that might be injured. And if you saw the amount of injuries that the Sharks have on that opening day roster with guys that are not on long-term or they're put on IR, um, you know, that's a trickle-down effect that keeps guys up. And and I know Nick talks a little bit about how thin the blue line is in the system, which has affected us because Moore and Shreddle are still up with the Barracuda. Right, but think about how deep that will make the Thunder when they come back. Um you can roll with six defensemen for right now. You're only playing, you, I think you're playing, what, four games in the first 12 days of the season, which for is, sure. what's that? 
I said for sure. Yeah. So you can roll with those six and maybe there's somebody out there who gets let go from a Fort Wayne or Toledo or Florida or somewhere like that, or you turn somebody around for another defenseman or you bring a defenseman back over from Europe. All of those things are possible. Uh, Not alluding that anything's going to happen like that, but all of those things are possible. We saw what happened last year with getting Cole McDonald off the scrap heap and getting Dylan McPherson from Wheeling. So um, lots of teams are going to have to make some tough decisions. But I think if you're Bruce Ramsey, um, yes. Excuse me. Bless you. Thank you. Uh, I think if you're Bruce Ramsey, you like where this defense is at. Um, It still has potential to grow, but again, you're only looking at weekend one of the season, and that's still nine to ten days away. So, um, and, and who knows what could happen in that time? There are three players on the roster not injured, or non-injured roster or whatever for for San Jose, and they could be taken off at any time. And two of those are defensemen. So, if you get a look at them, and that kicks somebody down, and then that could potentially kick one of Shreddle or more to Wichita. Uh, then I think you're you're feeling a little bit better about it. I think all of those scenarios are possible. And as we talk with Nick about it here in a few minutes, the benefit of Wichita having a later camp is that they have the benefit of time to figure out what is going to happen above them and react to it. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said. I, I think it's always going to be interesting how the lineup will shape up, like you mentioned, you know, with, for instance, you had talked about Dylan McPherson, the uh, trade that was made by Wichita, uh, by Bruce last year. You know, you give up a center who was turning into a fan favorite and get a number one defenseman. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not um, only looking for help on the blue line, but he's trying to improve the roster as much as he can. I mean, he's the type of guy that is never going to be satisfied with what he has. And if, if Shreddle and Leighton Moore don't come back, worst case scenario, they get an opportunity to stay up there and play more than just that opening weekend. Then he's going to have to find a way to improve on the back end and get some depth because you can't start the season with just six D. So We'll have to wait and see how that unfolds. But yeah, I, d- I do believe that it's uh, kind of in flux. The roster is always in flux. Uh, you're never satisfied as a coach with what you have. You're always trying to look to improve your team no matter what time of the year it is. Right. That's why they call it the everything changes hockey league. Nobody's ever um, terribly um, satisfied with your roster, if you will. So um, yeah, that is uh a good a good look at at that and you know like I said we'll continue to keep you up to date on where we're at with uh the roster and everything like that still um don't know about a uh there won't be a preseason game and to my knowledge there will not be an open uh there will not be a game inter squad or otherwise correct no not to my knowledge i mean i mean they're practicing all the way through Saturday, but nothing that uh, I'm aware of. If, if there is something, then it's 
not open to the public, but I have not been told that there is any kind of inter-squad scrimmage, if that's what you're asking about. Yep. Okay. So, uh, again, if we hear about it, uh, I'm sure the Thunder will do a great job of letting uh, everybody know. So, uh, what, what, yep. I don't mean to interrupt you, Matt, you're but good. there is a, a meet and greet, which okay. um, we're pretty excited about over at Best Body Shop for season ticket holders only. Okay. And that's from four to six on Saturday. And you get a chance to meet the players uh, like we have done in the past, a preseason type of thing. So if you're a season ticket holder and you have an opportunity, make sure you head on over there. Yeah, absolutely. And that is uh, over there at uh, 10, 500 or so West Kellogg drive. Uh, that is, you'll have to go if you're on Kellogg, uh, you go west to 119th and then come down to the frontage road, go past Horton's and Mel Hamilton, and then Best Body Shop is right there next to Horton's between there and the convenience store. And the only reason I know that is because, Malsey, I worked there once upon a time at Horton's delivering furniture. You delivered furniture? Really? I didn't know this about you. That was a, that was a lifetime and a half ago. <laughs> you went from furniture deliverer to a uh, weather guy. Weather's always been a passion. You're a jack of all trades. Master of none. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So good times. Yes. So, uh, yeah, just, uh, follow. Hey, uh, yeah, I, I know you're probably trying to get to a break. One you're of good. my favorite changes for training camp and if you watch the, th the thunder social media I, i'm not gonna lie when i walked out on the bench and i looked at the jerseys they were wearing i was oh, yeah. like wait a second are they in the right jerseys because <laughs> they do not look like thunder colors right right yeah those were those were teal and purple jerseys as an as a nod to san jose right i believe so I didn't realize there was any purple inside the shark's colors, but yeah, I didn't the teal either. was an interesting touch. I, I, I didn't either. That was, uh, that was interesting. Um, <laughs> I'm just so used to the red, yellow, black, and then the blue and, and, and grays. And then I, I come out on the bench and they're wearing teal and purple. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I saw that too. And I was like, what the hell is this? I thought I was colorblind at first. I, I thought I was too. You weren't the only <laughs> one. I, I, I wanted to walk up to, to Frank Rizzo jury and be like, what the hell did you do? Did you order the wrong? <laughs> there's he no, really there's some, I asked him about it. He's like, these are sharp. <laughs> the, he loved them, but I, I wanted to ask him if he ordered the wrong uniform and there's not a <laughs> chance that he would. <laughs> And he would, oh. he'd probably still be kicking my ass in the parking lot. So I, I'm not, I'm not going to make him mad. <laughs> I'm not going to try and make him mad. So um, why don't we go ahead and do this? We'll take a break. Uh, I'll, I'll read an ad and then we'll come back and then we'll play the Nick Nollenberger interview uh, with Malsey and I. Uh, Nick was gracious enough to give us some time uh, on Monday night, and we were able to do that. Uh, we'll play that for you coming out of the break. And then when we come back from that, uh, Malsey and I will give you some storylines to watch here as we head into the 2023-24 season. You're listening to the Rolling Thunder Podcast. This is episode number 12. We're glad to have you with us here on the Field Pass Hockey app as well 
as our friends at the Hockey Podcast Network. We'll be back with you in just a couple of moments. Stick and stay. The NFL season is going strong, and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking up new customers with an offer that's even stronger. Bet 5 bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers could take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October. Take Kansas City, for example. They're a 10.5-point favorite Thursday night against the Denver Broncos. Get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code THPN. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet $5 on the NFL. That's code THPN, only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boo Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, Louisiana, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario, Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Back to the Rolling Thunder podcast. It is Harding and Malsey with you here as we are getting set to talk with Nick Nollenberger of the San Jose Barracuda. He dropped by the pod Monday night to chat with Malsey and I about all things Barracuda, a look at what's going on with the Sharks, and more. Batting cleanup for us tonight is the voice of the San Jose Barracuda, and we just talked to him on the last podcast, but a lot has happened since we had him on before. Nick Dahlenberger joins us. Nick, thanks very much for taking the time out of your evening to join us, man. How are you? I'm doing great, Matt and Jason. Thank you guys for having me. Um, excited for the season, right? We go through the off season. We always need to kind of regroup and refresh, but you smell it in the air when you get to August, and there's just this kind of sense of optimism and excitement, and Players start trickling their way into town, and you know hockey's back. So it's right on the cusp. I'm excited. I know that the organization is, is excited, and um, it should be it should be a great year. I, 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 you know, at all three levels, I think there's some exciting developments for the Sharks. It's all about the young guys for the Barracuda. Can some of these young guys take a take a big step? And some of these new faces, some of these veterans that have come into the mix, can they get this team into the postseason? That's kind of a, a big goal of the organization at the HL level, and then. At the ECHL level, get these guys experience at the pro level, play a lot of games, have success, and and try to contribute and work their way up the ladder. So really excited about the year, but um, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, not a problem. Uh, let's uh, first start with uh, the completion of uh, camp for you guys. Uh, you guys are about to break camp, and we'll open up uh, this weekend, and we'll talk about that coming up here in just a moment. But um want to give you get your impressions on the uh two exhibition games and then the 
Uh, actually, we'll just start there. Let's get, let's get your impressions first of all of the two exhibition games, both of which uh, San Jose won over the former Thunder affiliate in the NHL and AHL, the uh, Edmonton Oilers and Bakersfield Condors. Yeah, I think y- y- you you hope to win the games. Obviously, there's no real value to winning, but to kind of set the tone, allow for guys to get comfortable. Um, game two, I would say that the lineup is is more of a reflection of what we'll see on opening night on Friday against Rockford. Uh, quite a few guys had joined the Barracuda from the NHL, and we saw a handful of those guys play. Uh, less guys that were on tryout agreements uh, were in the lineup, although there were a couple of them that that played both games. Um, so it was a little bit more of a reflection, I would say, on what we're going to see opening night uh, coming up on Friday again against Rockford. So the goal was, I think, in the first game, certainly you just get you get comfortable to play to play again. For a lot of these guys, they hadn't played in four or five months. So you know, there's a timing uh, adjustment there. There's an adjustment to to playing with new players and and just getting used to your new teammates. AHL camp, probably similar to what, what is uh, done in the ECHL, is quite short. A lot of these guys go to the NHL camp. They play NHL preseason games. So that by the time they get to the AHL camp, it's kind of a sprint. You have three or four practices. Then you have exhibition games. We only had two of them. And then camp breaks, and, and you're off and running and getting ready for, for opening night. So, you know, it's a short sample size, a lot to accomplish. Um, but overall, you'll take it. You win both games the second night with a little bit more of a robust lineup. Kind of a shaky start. Um, I think the Barracuda gave up two goals on the first three shots. Their starting goaltender, Etu McEnany, hadn't played in eight months uh, coming off hip surgery. So he was a little bit uh, shaky, I thought, early. And then he just settled into the game. He made, I believe, the final 34 consecutive uh, saves down the stretch and and they rolled after that point they tied the game up in the first and never really looked back so those are the things you're looking for right timing confidence some of the bigger names can they contribute uh, and they certainly did in both games so overall successful and we'll see how things shake out going into the regular season it, it is certainly a, a marathon not a sprint with these with these seasons so hard to really surmise too much in the first couple of months but uh, it doesn't hurt winning winning a couple exhibition games, just having a little confidence uh, and going into the regular season, feeling you know somewhat good about your game. First roster question that I have for you that would probably impact the Thunder uh, is: It your sense that Etu Makaniemi will stay will uh, continue to kind of rehab his his hip injury, and, and you guys see a three goaltender rotation up there with Magnus Krona and Georgi Romanov there with Makaniemi? At least to start, it, it, it's a great question, and that's actually a, a question I, I presented during uh, Friday night's game during the broadcast. Was what's going to be the plan here? I didn't even know if McAniemy was going to play on Saturday, and I, I thought to myself, if he doesn't play, then you're re- you're really thinking you're probably going to carry three goaltenders to start. He did play; he played the entire game. Beck Warren was the only goalie out of the four in camp that didn't see any action. They they split the duties in game one between Magnus Krona and, and Georgi Romanov. Um, both played well. Uh, we'll see if Romanov ends up making his way to the ECHL I think he will eventually um, but off the bat it's to be determined I haven't heard uh, one way or the other last year the Barracudas you guys are are familiar with at at various points in the season they had three different goalies on the roster and and they kind of rotated it um, as a as kind of a three-headed monster Uh, McAniemi's got a ton of promise a lot of skill they're really excited about him he's 24 years of age but He's had to have uh, surgery, two separate surgeries uh, over the last couple of seasons. So he has not played a full year in the AHL in his two years in the American Hockey League. There's a lot of things they're excited about this young player, but he wants 
himself personally and obviously the organization to, to have a really good and, and healthy season. Now, do you keep the three goalies just to kind of help with the with the load and the, the carries, if you will, early in the season? Uh, I would not be shocked if that ends up being the case. Don't know for certain. And that one, that may have been one of the reasons why the organization ends up signing back warm late in the summer was just to have a fourth goaltender under contract a goalie that can be sent to the ECHL who's coming off a really good season at that level. And it's another goalie in the mix. We all know how the, the position can be. It's fickle at times from a health standpoint. Guys can get injured um, you know, quite often. It's just, a, it's just a weird position like that. You see more injuries, it feels, uh, at that position than others. So who knows, um, you know, from a health standpoint, if, if McAnamie's able to stay healthy all year or any of the other goalies. So would not be shocked uh, to see three goalies at the start. At the same time, wouldn't be overly surprised if one of them ends up making their, their way uh, to the ECHL beyond Beck Warm, who was just reassigned the other day. Nick Nolenberger joining us from the Barracuda. Nick, I, I know it's a short and small sample size. What were your impressions of how the five or six players that joined you from Thunder, uh, the Thunder camp, how, how do you think they looked? Well, it, you know, it's hard to tell because it is a really small sample size. The one player I did have a chance to to talk to pregame on Friday uh, was Braden Watts, who obviously is coming off kind of a breakout year at the ECHL level. Um, and he has been in AHL camps before. You know, he had played, I believe, four games at the AHL level during the regular season when you guys were still affiliated with Edmonton. So he had played in Bakersfield. He's a Bakersfield native. So, you know, getting to go home and play that exhibition game, always kind of a thrill for him, as you would imagine, to be able to play in front of friends and family. He's the one player I was able to talk to before the game. But, you know, the, these guys come in and what I, I always appreciate about players in this situation is that the writing is probably on the wall that they're going to make their way back to the ECHL. But it's certainly a, a really great platform to kind of show your worth. There's always injuries that creep up, whether it's at the AHL or the NHL level, that all of a sudden it moves the, the ladder of hierarchy, if you will. All of a sudden there's a there, there's an opening in the roster. And, you know, you make a good impression. Uh, you kind of open the eyes of the coaching staff and the brass using this platform that otherwise maybe you wouldn't have if you weren't in camp. And maybe in the back of the minds of the coaching staff, they realize there's a player there in case they're in some sort of pinch. And all of a sudden, a guy gets an opportunity down the line. So, you know, overall, again, it's a small sample size. I think for some of these guys, they play pretty limited minutes. Um, Leighton Moore was a guy I thought who stuck out. He's a smaller guy as kind of a puck-moving defenseman. Um, I thought played decently well and played in a couple – in both games, actually. Um, so it, it's hard to really take too much from it. But, again, these guys were competing hard. Didn't stick out in any sort of negative way. Um, you know, if you didn't know the last names or what the contract status was, I don't think uh, anybody uh, went out there and stuck out in a way that you thought, man, they don't really belong at this level. So that's a good sign. Right. Um, and, and I think it's a confidence builder for all these players to be around guys who are just in NHL camps and guys who have played in the NHL. Um, as you can imagine, just being in the facility and, and throwing on the uniform you're going to build confidence just naturally. So th there's nothing negative that you, that you take away from an experience like that. And again, talking to, to Braden Watts, it's you come into, into a camp like that and you just try to play hard. You just, you know, you try to do your best, uh, try to make an impression, not try to put too much pressure on yourself and, and just take it in stride. So overall, long, long answer short, um, I thought all the guys played well and, and didn't stick out in any sort of negative way. Now, on Sunday, like Matt had talked about with us off-air, you guys sent down five players to the ECHL. 
uh, two of those guys that were on Thunder ECHL contracts continue to stay up with the Barracuda uh, as of this interview anyways, recorded on Monday. But what what are your impressions on, like you mentioned, Leighton Moore and, and Matt Shreddle? Do you feel like they have an opportunity maybe to stick? It's going to be interesting. So the Sharks just announced their 23-man opening night roster. They had three players on injured reserve. So we didn't get anybody additionally as of Monday uh, when we were talking. So there are only eight defensemen currently on the roster for the Barracuda, and that includes uh, Moore and Shreddle. So certainly they're going to be in the conversation to, to potentially be here during opening night. Now, are they going to get in the lineup? We'll wait and see. Obviously, you know, if there's some sort of injury situation, again, they'd bump up a, a notch. Um, but at the very least, you look just from a numbers standpoint, where the Sharks are, where the Barracuda are, and you just try to think, well, why, why are they still here and the other guys aren't? And I think it goes back to the fact that it's it's about numbers at this point, and the Barracuda are a little bit thin on the back end just from from how many bodies they have currently in camp. So um, I think there's a real shot they could still be here by Friday. Uh, we'll see if anything shakes out with the Sharks over the next couple of days. But right now, eight defense that's about the number that you that you're looking for. Um, so I think there's a there's a real chance that one of the two, if not both, uh, could be uh, within the team and on the opening night roster. And the 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 thing that Thunder fans should take solace in is that opening night for the Thunder is, uh, as we record this, 11 days away. So there is still some time for them to make their way back down. And then, uh, you know, looking up front as well, Logan Couture is, is up is is on uh, IR at least to start the season. He won't play opening night and and still is TBD thereafter. But then there's the possibility of additional forwards coming down to Wichita for the opening night roster. So even though the Thunder only got two in addition to the three who went up to the Barracuda uh, for tryouts in the exhibition game, still having a, a a forward and a goaltender like Beck Warm, nothing to sneeze at at least at least initially. Yeah, no, no question. It it, it doesn't hurt as as we saw last year. You guys know better than I. Uh, the goalie position especially when you're relied on in the event there's any sort of injuries at the next two levels. Your goalie situation, your goalie room can can feel great one day and be completely ravished the next. That's how quickly, in, in the blink of an eye, things change, uh, especially at that position. So to have a guy like Beck Warm, you, you guys, I don't know if you ended up playing Cincinnati last year. I, I assume you did. Um, obviously coming off a really good year. He's a guy who's been on an NHL contract before. He has played in the American Hockey League um, a, a su substantial amount. And when you look at the goalies that are in San Jose, he's actually played more combined games than the other three um, over his career. So there's an experience factor. Um, on top of that, just a really good guy. I think you guys will enjoy having him around. Just a, a generally uh, nice person. Um, and that doesn't hurt either, right, in the locker room and amongst the, the team um, to have good people in the room. So um, I think that's a really nice addition for the group and and we'll see again how things shake out but to have a guy with that type of experience is something that uh, you'll take every day of the week let's start talking about the barracuda you guys open up uh, friday night against the rockford ice hogs uh pretty deep group of, at least up front you have several nhl caliber players including oscar limblom who has uh, performed up in the NHL, and then you have a mix of uh, some younger talent as well, uh, Augie we Ozzie Wiesblatt, as well as Anthony Vincent, Connor McEachern, uh, and and it it seems like it's a, a really good mix of of 
uh, slightly older veterans, won't call them old yet, uh, and and younger players, at least up front and then on the back end, uh, still the same mix there with uh, Gavonki as well as Nick Cisak, who is Mr. Everything for the Sharks and the Barracuda last year, and then uh, probably the prize of the uh, Timo Meyer trade, uh, Shakir, uh, and I'm going to let you say uh, Shakir's Mook- last name because that Mook-a-Madulin. is Madulin. <laughs> it's not Mooka as bad Madulin. as you think. Muka Madulin, yep. Muka Madulin, okay. So it, it looks like you guys have a really good blend uh, from forward to back of older players and younger players. Uh, do you, it feels like that there's that this is the start of the turnaround for John McCarthy's group. Well, it's we've seen it over the last couple of years. If you don't have a blend of experienced veteran players and and high end prospects, younger players who have NHL ability, it's just, it's hard to win in the AHL. You see it every single year. You've got to have veterans and not just, you know, an average day veteran, right? You've got, they've got to contribute. They've got to provide leadership within the room. Um, But again, they've got to be productive as well and have a mentality that, Sure, they want to get to the NHL, but they also, while they're in the AHL, they need to be a guiding force for a lot of the young players. They've got to have good attitudes. Um, They've got to show these young guys how to work day in and day out. So they take on multiple roles. Um, And I think that's what the Barracuda have this year. We were really excited about the group last year, but it might have been a year early. A lot of these really skilled forwards were just embarking on their first season of pro. And you look at the guys that are on the Barracuda roster currently as guys that you look at that are really – that the organization is really excited about that Tristan Robbins, the second rounder from 2020, Daniil Gustin, who led all rookies last year, uh, third rounder from that same draft class at 22 goals in the AHL last year, um, played a little in the NHL. So did Robbins. Um, you've got just multiple guys coming now into their second year. Um, William Eklund and Thomas Bordalo, who made the Sharks opening night roster, kind of fall into that same mold. Ozzy Weisblatt, former first rounder from that that 2020 class, had kind of a slow start last year. It took him a little bit to get used to the pro level, was kind of in and out of the lineup, but down the stretch was in on a pretty regular basis. Um, a guy who just plays really, really hard. He's not a huge guy, but he hits everything that moves, um, packs a punch for his size, really plays a, a real sandpaper style of game. Um, now for him, it's about taking another step in other areas, whether it's defensively or even scoring a little bit more. Um, just go down the list. And then on top of that are all these veterans. You, you mentioned Lindblom, a little bit of a surprise that he was put on waivers and, and reassigning the American Hockey League. But, um, you know, my short conversations with him, just a really, really nice guy and, um, you know, happy to be there, just happy to to be playing pro hockey, especially given his circumstance, um, having beat cancer a couple of years ago and has gone through just a, a really up and down um, pro career, at least in the NHL over the last handful of years dealing with that. And you just hope he gets back to where he was a, a couple of years ago when he was in um, Philadelphia. So, you know, maybe coming to the AHL, he's playing more minutes, kind of gets his scoring touch back a little bit, and then we see him back in the NHL. But guys like Ryan Carpenter, another veteran, played a, played a lot in the NHL during his career, could be in the NHL. In fact, I thought he may make the Sharks as kind of a fourth-line checking center uh, he ends up being put on waivers and reassigned. And at the AHL level, he's going to be playing big minutes and uh, will be thrown into all situations and uh, will be relied on to provide offense as well. So I, I totally agree. I think there's a great mix. Um, talking about the blue line, the blue line was really thin last year. Um, we talked all about the forwards coming in as that forward class. The blue line was um, was kind of a different story. But over the last year, Mike Greer, 
GM of the Sharks has made a real concerted effort to to bolster the the cupboard at that at that position. So bringing in Mukamadolin and the Timo Meyer trade was a big one. Um, they also brought Nikita Ahoytuk, who was another uh, defenseman in that trade. He was a second rounder in New Jersey. He's currently up with the Sharks. Um, another piece of that. Uh, you look at Valtteri Pulley. He's a six foot six defenseman from Finland, uh, who they're really excited about, just from kind of a, a longer development um, route as a guy who they hope can play a couple years in the HL and then make the step to the NHL. So all of a sudden the decor is a little bit more experienced. I, I think it's a little bit more deeper from a talent standpoint. Um, and then you look at the goalies as well to just kind of go all three levels. Magnus Krona is a decorated uh, netminder during his collegiate career. He won a national championship two years ago at Denver. He's uh, got prototypical size. He's six foot five. He moves well. Um, he was a Tampa draft pick who the Sharks acquired in a trade a couple of years ago. They're really excited about him. And, and frankly, the organization is looking for as many goalie prospects um, as they possibly can get their hands on with, uh, I think there's a trend now with the physical tools to kind of fit what they're looking for. And that size and athleticism, you know, all their goalies are pretty big. It's something you couldn't have said even a year ago. Um, so they're excited about the forward group coming in, uh, those guys coming back for the second year, all the D that they've added and this goalie crop. So we'll see if it ends up coming together and is what the coaches hope and the organization hopes. But I think there's a lot of things that you can look at and be pretty optimistic about where this group could go and really where the Sharks prospect pool is from where it is today as opposed to where it was even a year ago. Nick Nolenberger joining us, the voice of the Barracuda. Nick, uh, were you surprised that Thomas Bortolo was able to make the opening dairy roster for the Sharks? Look, it's funny how you look at training camp and you look at who's going to make the team. At least you have the, you know, you prognosticate on who you think might make the team. But the great thing about it is as much as we think things are set in stone, if a guy goes out there and plays well, you can change the minds uh, of fans, of front offices alike. And I think that's exactly what happened with Thomas Bordalo. Last year, he had a really good year offensively, scored at a rate that he had really never scored at in his entire career, kind of added that to his game. But then as the year continued along, I don't know if it was uh, – you know, fatigue from a from a full pro season that hadn't dealt with that before was playing the college schedule, which is obviously not quite as rigorous as a professional schedule. And, and he kind of hit a wall. And there was moments, I think, where, where the coaching staff wanted him to be a little bit more dynamic in his own end, a little bit more committed, maybe a little bit more engaged physically, never going to be a, a real imposing player. But you can't just be a goal scorer and uh, rely on that your entire career, especially when you're an undersized guy and think that you're going to stick in the NHL. So, you know, he, he obviously came into this training camp with a mindset that I want to make the sharks and that's my goal. And I'm not going to allow uh, anybody or, or anything to deter that. And he went into camp. He's had an outstanding camp, you know, the proofs in the pudding, he's been dynamic during the, you know, during these preseason games, him and William Eklund have kind of a built-in chemistry. And, you know, I think he, he did surprise maybe some that he made the team, but well-deserved. I, I thought he, he, went into this training camp again with a certain mentality. And, uh, you know, we saw results during some of these preseason games as well. I think he's had a handful of goals. So um, you're surprised to a degree, but then the way that he's played and uh, the type of ability that he has and the way the organization uh, thought of him, you, you know, going into last year before the year had started, you know, this is where he should have been. This is where, uh, you know, they hoped he would be. So happy for him and, and hopefully he can continue that along, you know, to be in the NHL uh, you, you, again, you can't just score goals. That's that, that's what wins and, and loses games is how many goals obviously you can score, but it's all the little details uh, that are going to allow you to play games uh, in the NHL coaching staffs. Uh, don't tolerate guys who 
who don't buy in defensively um, unless you're scoring 50 a year. So um, I think for him, there's there's still parts of his game that he needs to round out, but um, a well-deserved uh, promotion and well-deserved making of the roster because he, he's been outstanding during training camp. And, and then, then the Nick, same- sorry, Matt. No, go ahead. And then, Nick, I was going to kind of bring it back to the Thunder uh, just for a minute. Bradley Merrick was the other guy that was sent down to Wichita. Can you talk a little bit about what he adds to our roster as he makes his way down here? Yeah, absolutely. He's big. He he skates pretty well for his size. Um, He kind of came out of nowhere, at least on my radar. He was at development camp, you know, just, just kind of a tryout guy at development camp that I didn't really know that, you know, there's always a handful of those guys. Um, And then he was signed to an AHL contract. He had two more years remaining, of college eligibility at Ferris State, and he decided he was just ready to turn pro. He had the opportunity, um, and he jumped at it. This is a kid who originally was committed to Michigan State, and uh, there was a coaching change, and he ends up going to Ferris State. He actually goes home. He's he's from uh, the town in which Ferris State is located. So he ends up coming home, played two years there. Um, I believe he was the, the, the freshman of the year, his first season of college. Um, and then last year was was his final season as a sophomore. So, you know, he had a good little two year run uh, with with the Bulldogs and he, he decided it was time to turn pro. But, you know, he scored in the rookie tournament. Um, again, he's a big body, doesn't mind mixing it up in, in the kind of short sample size um, that I saw. So for him, I think playing games, at the pro level, kind of getting used to the tempo and the speed and and trying to to see where his game kind of fits. I think will be really valuable for him uh, at the ECHL level. And again, I thought he was good in training camp. I thought he was, he was good in the, in the rookie tournament as well. So um, I think for, for the thunder, you're getting a big, powerful player who, um, you know, is still, still pretty young relatively having not gone the four years in college. And uh, we'll see how his game translates to the professional level, but I think he'll be a nice little ad for the thunder this year. Yeah. You could see uh, somebody like him playing, second, third, third line minutes uh, and being one of those guys who Bruce Ramsey uses to uh, go in the corner and make things happen and then go have a, a solid net front presence in front of the uh, goaltenders, especially considering his height, six foot three and his, his build at 211 pounds. So um, as we begin to wrap up here with you, Nick, uh, lots of things going on out there in San Jose. You have the the Sharks, obviously, the Barracuda, and you guys are hosting the uh, American Hockey League All-Star Game out there this year. What else do you guys have cooking out there uh, in uh, the San Francisco area? Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, you know, San Jose, the Sharks had built this a long time ago, obviously. You know, when they came into existence back in 91, um, you know, there was a almost immediate love affair with with the team. Uh, and for for the Barracuda, it's been, it's been a, um, you know, having played at an SAP center, beginning in the 2015-16 season it's been a little bit of an educational process i think for for sharks fans just about the american hockey league as a league because there was no uh you know understanding really or no one was familiar with the ahl unless you were from the east coast so so, um you know from an education standpoint it's been fun to see the brand grow over the last couple of years um especially with the new building and and as you alluded to the barracuda will be hosting the all-star classic this year um which is really the marquee event for the american hockey league it'll be on tsn in canada it'll be on uh, nhl network in the states 
Um, and it's an opportunity to really showcase not only the, the AHL, but some of the real bright young prospects uh, within all the organizations amongst the 32 NHL teams. Um, so it'll be really cool to be able to, to shine a light on San Jose as not just an NHL town, but just a hockey town uh, as a whole. You know, where the Barracuda play, Tech CU Arena is attach, attached to the Sharks and Barracuda practice facility, which if you include the arena is six sheets of ice. Uh, it's the largest facility of its kind in all of North America, and that includes wow. Canada. So it gives you an idea of how big hockey is in the Bay Area. We actually have the largest adult league uh, program in the country as well. So from just a, from how many people play, we, th- there's no other uh, region in the entire country that has more people signed up for adult league hockey. So, you know, the sports is growing and growing in the area. Um, having the Barracuda, I think, only enhances that. It, it exposes maybe different uh, sectors of the community to hockey. Obviously, we're at a little bit of a, a different price point than the Sharks are. Um, so it's just really cool to see see it all kind of blossom and grow. I'm, I'm a product of of the area. I played junior Sharks as a kid, so um, I've seen it kind of from from the start until now. And it's just it's just a really cool thing to be a part of. And you know, the game only continues to grow. Um, you know, next year's number one draft choice, at least the projected number one pick. Um, Salabrini, who's uh, I think he's going to BU, played a couple of years with the Junior Sharks. His dad's the strength coach for the Golden State Warriors, so that'll be a big kind of deal uh, when he's drafted next year, and just the connection to the Bay Area as well. So, uh, just to to take it to, in multiple directions, you know, the sport it, it's huge here, and and people love it, and I think it's only growing and growing thanks in part to the Barracuda and their influence and. You know, there's lots of stuff on the horizon. I think we're going to continue to try to utilize the facility and the arena in different ways. Um, we hosted the rookie faceoff last year. There's talks that we may could we may host it again as early as next year, um, just because our facility is kind of you know picture perfect for stuff like that. So, yeah, tons of stuff on tap. Excited uh, for the upcoming year, and I think uh, you know hopefully the Barracuda and the, the Thunder alike. Um, you know, both teams will be pretty successful this year. Hey Nick, I need uh, a men's league team to join since we don't have ice. We don't have ice here in Wichita, so if you need a five foot six defenseman, I'm your guy. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> Thanks very much for doing this, man. Uh, you're always uh, always enjoy having you on the podcast and and having your insight as to what's going on at the level above and even up at the NHL level. Uh, you're you're just a wealth of knowledge about the Barracuda and the Sharks. Have a great call Friday night. Enjoy uh, the season, and we'll talk to you down the line. All right, guys. Appreciate you. Thank you for the kind words, and best of luck to you guys as well. We'll be uh, keeping tabs on what's going on in Wichita as well. And, you know, at all three levels, let's just hope we all have a good season. You know, we get into the playoffs, we give, our, we give ourselves a, a chance to, to hoist the ultimate prize. So uh, thank you guys. Anytime, let me know. Happy to hop on. Welcome back into the podcast. It is Harding and Malsy with you as we go head first toward the beginning of the season. This is episode number 12. Thanks very much for checking us out wherever you are, especially on the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, your takeaways from what we heard from our friend, Mr. Nolenberger. You know, I, I love talking to Nick for a lot of different reasons, Matt, but I, I feel like he could be in the NHL someday. He's that um, knowledgeable about what's going on with San Jose. I really enjoy our conversations with him and uh, hearing about how the organization 
uh, is is structured for not only this season, but uh, hopefully in years to come as uh, these franchises trying to create a, a long-term relationship. So uh, just uh, a couple of things. I, I thought it was interesting to hear his comments about uh, some of the forwards up there in in San Jose, how Thomas Bordalo, who's one of their top draft picks over the last couple of years, got an opportunity to make the opening day roster. I know you had asked about uh, Lindholm and, and how he affects the roster, a, a guy who's a little bit older, and Ryan Carpenter as well. Ryan Carpenter actually played with the Blackhawks a couple of years ago, so to get that type of veteran leadership down in the American Hockey League I think is going to be big for that team. Um, but also how thin they are on the blue line. I would have never known that throughout the course of the summer. It seemed like they were adding pieces, um, you know, left and right at, at all three stages of that roster. And unfortunately, you know, they've got some injuries they're dealing with at the NHL and the AHL level. And, you know, that's resulted in Leighton Moore and, and Shreddle staying up there. So uh, we'll have to wait and see how that affects the Thunder. But I know you've mentioned a couple of times, you know, there's still plenty of time for those two potentially to get sent back down here to Wichita and open the season with the Thunder on the 20th. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And the other thing that I wanted to talk uh, to Nick about, and I don't think we had a chance to get it in there, was uh, the the quick development of Henry Thrun, who played a few games last year for the Barracuda, then went right up to the American Hockey League or to the NHL and has stuck. He's made the opening night roster uh, with the San Jose Sharks, and then they picked up Ty Emerson uh, off of waivers from Hartford and the New York Rangers organization uh, last Saturday. He was able, or no, two Saturdays ago, beg your pardon. Uh, he played in both exhibition games and was able to make uh, camp with the Sharks as well. So um, I, I, they're very young on defense, and I wonder if this is going to be a tack that they take moving forward of letting the young defensemen kind of show what they can do, and if they need to go down, go down and get their, their skills sharpened and then come back, or if they're just going to ride and ride or die with that. But I think um, you know the development of Henry Thrun and Ty Emerson uh, from where they were at to now being NHLers I think says a lot about the quality of player that they're scouting and looking to pull off of the waiver wire. Yeah, and on that token, when you're talking about Thrun, you know, they're letting a guy like Shakir Magomedoulin sit in the American Hockey League for another year. He was a big piece of that trade that uh, happened at the trade deadline last year. So they're hoping that he can develop into an everyday NHL D-man, but allowing him to get more playing time in North America, I think, is key because he didn't have a ton of that last year. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see his development and how that translates to the NHL level and, and if he can follow in the footsteps of Henry Thrun. Yeah, absolutely. And, and by all accounts, uh, it, it appeared like uh, Shakir Mukohumdulin, uh was very close to being an NHLer, but they just wanted him to go back down and, and refine that. Uh, game a little bit, and I, I would fully expect for him to make his NHL debut uh, this season uh, with the Sharks, probably sooner rather than later would be my guess. Yeah, I think the one aspect uh, you had mentioned was how young they are on the blue line. 
And a lot of that, of course, being because they got rid of Eric Carlson. But yeah, uh, I think that trade has benefited that organization in more than ways than one. And you won't see the fruits of the labor for that probably until two or three years from now, maybe even longer than that. So I, I know next year's draft, they're not saying it's as strong as this past draft, but some of the forwards that are coming out and going into the draft uh, are, are I, from what I've heard and, and I, I, I don't know as much about this next year's draft class just yet, but uh, there's a couple of forwards that they're really excited about. And they think they, they can be cornerstone type pieces for the sharks possibly uh, in the next couple of years. I'm not saying that San Jose is definitely going to finish dead last, but a lot of the pundits are not picking them to finish very high. That's for sure. No, but I mean, realistically i think if they if they got to 80 points i think that that is a good season um that's probably a a banner year uh considering where they were at um i don't know what do you think i, I think some of I them had that's... like 68 yeah. points i think if you i think if they're anywhere in the neighborhood of 80 to 85 points then that's then that's an absolute bang up season there's got to be some improvement year to year yes. for sure. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then the other thing that I was intrigued to talk with Nick about was the goaltending situation, which it, it just amazes me the amount of goaltenders that get an opportunity and start down to the ECHL. And then like a Stuart Skinner that makes it all the way to the NHL mm-hmm. out of any other position, goaltending has been uh, one of the, spots i believe that uh, the echl does a terrific job of developing uh, in terms of positional play and you know they've got a ton of goalies in their system and uh, you know getting a guy like beck warm down here i think is going to be extremely important when you pair him up with trevor gorsuch who knock on wood stays with the thunder all season but <laughs> potentially having a guy like Romanoff or maybe even Krona come down here once in a while to get a game. And I, I, I'm interested to see, I think Mag's Magnus Krona could be a cornerstone goalie from what I've read and what I've seen, he's had a really strong camp and he can be potentially the guy for them if he stays healthy. And I know McAniemi, on the other hand, you and I talked a little bit about that with Nick, you know, he's not been able to stay healthy with the injury issues that he's uh, unfortunately suffered through. And they're expecting big things from him, but can he play a full season? That's the big question mark. Yeah. Um, that's, you're absolutely right about that. Um, and I think if you read between the lines from what Nick was saying, uh, it sounds like we could see either Krona or um, Romanoff here in Wichita to go with Beck Warm, much like we saw last year with Zachary Amon, and then you had uh, Strauss Mann come in in spells. Uh, that, to me, seems like the goaltending model that San Jose wants to run with. Um, it's going to be hard to have three up there, and if you're going to carry McAniemi on your opening night roster, if you're the Barracuda, given what he did in the exhibition game, allowing the first two goals and then stopping the next 34, um, then does are you comfortable enough with him 
that you are able to send down either a Krona or a, or a Romanoff to Wichita and have the Thunder roll three. And then what? And then what do you do if you're Bruce Ramsey? Because then that becomes a really interesting decision. Do you have? Do you keep Trevor Gorsuch, a guy who, um, by all intents and purposes, is a really very solid veteran netminder in this league, and probably has. There's no doubt he's put a lot of tread on the tires. Do you give him a spell? Do you give him a start every once in a while as opposed over the over the two contracts? Well, how do you balance that if you're if you're Thunder head coach Bruce Ramsey? All of those are very interesting um, interesting things to think about. And he's and Nick is right that they did focus a lot of their efforts over the summer once the forward group and all of that in the Carlson trade was settled above them and and the forward group was signed at the at the uh, Barracuda level they did go ahead and and work to solidify that goaltending core uh, you know and and Wichita is going to get the the benefit of that at least initially with Beck Warm in net so I guess the question would be and I know this is probably really hard to answer because in this day and age in the NHL, you really need to have two competent goalies. But right. in your opinion, do you feel like they have a cornerstone goalie that they can run through that can lead them, you know, to making the playoffs year after year? Or do you feel like they might be addressing that in the next couple of years? The Sharks or the Barracuda? Yes, the Sharks. Um... Or is it too hard to tell? Krona has what it takes. Um, can he be that guy? I don't know. Um, well, he led Denver. He did to a national he, title. So he, he did. He did. But leading a school to a national title is different than leading a team to the Stanley Cup playoffs and winning a Stanley Cup. Uh, but we saw Aiden Hill do it last year with Vegas, and that's not a knock on Aiden Hill, but. Let's let's face facts. When we saw Aiden Hill here in Wichita, and I think we talked about it on this very podcast, when we saw Aiden Hill here in Wichita, he was getting lit up. And now he's a Stanley Cup champion. So um I think it I don't think I, I think it's unfair to say that he could be a cornerstone goalie. I think it depends on what you build out in front of him. Magnus Krona can be a very good goalie, but it depends on what you build out in front of him that will make him the cornerstone goalie for you. That's what made Nabokov so good. Look at him year after year. He's playing with the guy with guys like uh, Joe Thornton and Mike Ricci and, and guys like that who were very tenacious. And and Nabokov was a very positionally sound goaltender. Um, Owen, Owen Nolan, like they, they were just racking up goals. He needed to be good when called upon, but the defense and the forward group in front of him is what made, I think, Nabokov's job a lot easier. I agree. I I liked watching Nabokov. He was fun um, to be able to see kind of how he played the game differently than other goalies. And, you know, and now he's the one that's trying to help these guys get to uh, reach their dreams and make it to the NHL. So I, I agree with where you're coming from. I was just curious what your opinion was because I, I I completely understand that NCAA hockey is not the NHL. Right. I'm not trying to put that much pressure on him, but at sure. the same time, you know, it's fun to look ahead and see, hey, you know, is this the guy that maybe can 
play in the NHL and, and be a, the type of goalie that can be an Aiden Hill. He could be. Um, there's no doubt about it. I think Magnus Corona could be that guy. Um, I also thought Strauss Mann could be that guy as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I honestly thought that he would get re-signed by the Barracuda. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you have Magnus Krona or you have Strauss Mann, who I think are one in the same goaltender-wise. I think the edge does go. I think you lean Krona in that decision. So I, I can understand why they would let Strauss walk. Um, and Strauss is now in the, in the Montreal organization. And I could, I could very easily see Strauss for that matter, becoming the next carry price of that organization. You know, it, it's, it's interesting. You're mentioning that because as we heard Nick say, the one thing that the sharks are starting to lean towards, they're showing a little bit of their hand, but they do like uh, uh, those goalies that are a little bit taller. Yeah. And all of their goalies are above what six one six two, I think. So yeah, unfortunately, Strauss just didn't fit that mold. Now, can he be a guy that makes it to the NHL level? I think there is a pedigree there. Mm-hmm. Uh, not going to say that he's not going to be able to, but he's in a pretty good situation because if Price ends up hanging him up anytime soon, then who knows where they're going to be able to go? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, that I mean. I, Goaltending is so fickle. Like with goaltenders, and I think it would be kind of interesting to get Trevor Gorsuch on here and and to kind of get in the mind of a goaltender. Um, one one year, you know, they're they're riding high and and world beaters and things like that, and then the next year it could all just fall apart and they never get it back. Um, it's not quite the same with a positional player as it is with a goaltender. It, it can come and go fairly quick with the, with a goaltender. Um, so to to project out on a goaltender five, ten years seems not as sure-footed as you would to say, okay, Connor Bedard is going to be a 120-point scorer in three or four years. He's going to be on a level with Connor McDavid in five to 10 years. Um, that, that to me feels like more of a sure bet than to project where a goaltender is going to be. Especially when you look at how these teams draft in the NHL. Yes. yes. Uh, there's yeah. not a lot of goalies that go really high, no. which is uh, crazy to me that, you know, one of the most important positions on your roster and it, you don't see guys that maybe even go into the second or third round. Right. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and, and that position is not getting any older either. Uh, you see these, these younger goalies come up in the pipeline with greater regularity and greater speed. It feels like than the position players. So, uh, and I, I think that might have to do with all of the wear and tear that goalies take. That's a hard position to play. Um, you know, so I, yeah, to to project five or ten years out on a goaltender is kind of tough. But yeah, getting to your back to your original question, yes, I do think Magnus Krona could be that goaltender for uh, San Jose. Do I honestly think we'll see him here in Wichita this year? Maybe not for more than ten games. Um, I think if we get the Strauss Man number of games out of Magnus Krona, 
Um, I think Wichita ought to win every single one of them, to be honest. Uh, you know, so yeah, I, I think if you're able, if you get that number of games out of out of Magnus Corona this year, I think that that that's going to be a bonus for Thunder fans. I I I, I probably am preaching to the choir here, but you know, after hearing what Nick said, I, I think you know Mike Greer does not want to see guys, and neither Joe Will for that matter, just sitting up there right. in the American Hockey League. So if there's right. an opportunity to get Krona or Romanov down here to at least get a game or two and play, then uh, I think you're going to see it. But I'm not going to say we're going to guarantee that's going to take place because I don't want to start any kind of rumor that's going to run around the message Correct. board. So yeah. uh, it would be fun to see, that's for sure. I think Thunder fans would really enjoy that. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, fun fun conversation about goaltenders, and uh, we'll shoot to have one of the attendees on for the Thunder here uh, at some point this season. So um, looking abroad, looking ahead at the storylines for the Thunder, and I guess, you know, it, it, we're kind of we're kind of projecting ahead, if you will, and we don't even know what the roster is going to be. So forgive us if we're a little bit off on some of our uh, storylines here for the year. But um, as we begin to kind of start writing the book on the 22, 23-24 uh, edition of the Wichita Thunder, um, the one thing that I think, um, the one storyline I have, at least initially for Wichita, is can the Thunder capitalize on their offensive depth early on with players like Peter Bates, who's coming off of a 40, off a 40 point season. Uh, you have Braden Watts, who's coming off being a top five scorer in the, uh, in the ECHL last year. Jay Dickman is coming off of a 60 point year. You have Aaron Miller, who's put together 70 plus points overseas and he's making the transition and looks very comfortable. Jason Penio, can he break out and, and put together a solid year? Then you have uh, players like uh, Jake Wallen and, and potentially Brett Boeing and Gavin Gould on that roster. A lot of the mainstays from the Thunder from last year, can they put that offense back together this year and get going right from Jump Street? That's one of the, the storylines I have uh, heading into the early part of this season. Yeah, I, for me, I think you're trying to see how some of these new faces fit in. I, I know you mentioned Aaron Miller, who hopefully coaches brought him in to try and replace the production that was lost with Quinn Preston going over to Europe. Um, but in, in my opinion, the biggest question mark is, is trying to solidify the back end. Mm -hmm. um, you know, having Trevor Gorsuch is a huge key for this team, especially what we saw late in the year last year, not having uh, the competent goaltending that the team didn't see until the last five games when he came in. Right. Um, but you lost, like you mentioned, Dylan McPherson, who is now in Europe. And then you had Cole McDonald overseas, which uh, from what I saw, his team is not performing all that great. So who knows? One I'm not saying he's going to come back, but yeah. um, I, I wouldn't venture to say that coach isn't trying to convince him, Hey, you need to be back in, in, uh, in a thunder uniform, but <laughs> I, I would I would I would venture to say that that is already happening if he is one if his team is one <laughs> and eight off of the jump. Yes, they are one and eight. So, Oof. but but that that to me is the biggest question mark. I mean, you only got two returners from last year's team on the on the blue line, and you're going to have to figure out who is going to take the role of uh, you know of a Dylan McPherson who was the quarterback in the power play and 
Cole McDonald then took over the, the captain letter when Dylan never returned from Abbotsford last year. So uh, I, I think those are the, the keys for me is replacing the production, not only from McPherson and McDonald, but also Quinn Preston and hopefully Aaron Miller is that guy. And from what I've uh, been told and what you said, you saw at practice on day one, and I know it's only day one, let's not completely overreact, but you said you like what you saw. I did. Uh, like I said, I think that this is going to be a fairly, fairly uh, steady defense. If you put Dominic Dockery there on the back, uh, there with uh, Jeremy Masella, who again comes from good bloodlines. His his brother's a two-time uh, Kelly Cup champion back-to-back, uh, recently retired Ben Masella. And then you have Xavier Pouliot, who played really well, I thought, for the Thunder uh, heading down the stretch last year and, and just hits you like like seven Mack trucks steaming down the highway at 60 miles an hour. So, um, And then you add in a Dmitry Yuskevich as well, who has, I think, a good first pass coming out of the zone. Um, he has good vision, and he hits you very hard as well. So you have four potentially mainstay defensemen there on your back end. You can, ro- you can roll how, however you want those other potentially four if you get Shreddle and Moore back, which I think Shreddle and Moore would be your five, six, or even three, four defensemen uh, there if you have Roswell and Spencer sitting there in the seven and eight hole. Remember now, at least in the first month of the season, the Thunder can play uh, with up to 23 players uh, on their roster. They don't have to have, uh, they don't have to get down to, I think, 22 until mid-November. So uh, that I think the defense... Uh, will have its starts and stops to begin. But I think once they get going, and especially I think once you you start to see it here once they go into the Utah and Idaho trip uh, there in early November, I think that this defense is going gonna, is gonna to find their legs. Uh, and they're going to get comfortable working with certain players and, and getting comfortable with their D partners and, and all of that. So... Um, I think the Thunder defense will be just fine. In net, I think the Thunder are going to be even better. I think this may potentially be if you bring in Beckwarm and or um, Yorgi Romanoff from San Jose, you have either one of those there and Trevor Gorsuch. Buddy, this may be the deepest goaltending situation the Thunder have had in a very long time. This has the potential to be a very deep goaltending core uh, with with a 28-game ECHL winner a year ago. And you take Beckwarm stats from Cincinnati a year ago and you put that on the Thunder roster right now, Beckwarm pretty much runs every category in the ECHL record book for the Wichita Thunder. Getting back real quickly, I don't mean to completely change the you're good position you're looking at. I, I forgot to mention that I'm really intrigued by late more I think from what hearing Nick talk about his game and coach is really high on him and I know yes. if it wasn't for the fact that he's five foot seven five foot five foot eight he might be in the American Hockey League so I'm intrigued to see how he is but yes I do believe this could be a very deep goaltending tandem depending on who is you know down here in in Wichita which I know Thunder fans are probably clamoring for after last season. I think I think anybody with a pulse here who's a Thunder fan are, are clamoring for it. Like, good God, can we <laughs> can we please not have to play find the missing goaltender? 
Good grief. Yeah. So revolving door of goalies. I, I know coach was uh, pulling his hair out last year after yeah. that. Yeah. Coach, coach got quite a bit of gray there in that, in that mustache and goatee uh, <laughs> trying to find a goaltender. <laughs> oh, yeah. that is the truth. So, um, but yeah, I mean, do we getting back to the forwards here? Um, and I, and I'm looking at at the four at the actually the three of Peter Bates, Jay Dickman, and Braden Watts. Starting with Bates, or excuse me, starting with Dickman and Watts, where do we feel like their offensive ceiling is? Do we feel like that they may get to seventy points, or is that just a bridge too far? I think it's realistic. It, it depends on kind of, you know, who each starts with this year. You know, I don't have a good feel just yet of where coach might lean when it comes to, you know, those first two lines. Um, if if I'm predicting ahead of time, I would venture to say that Braden uh, will be possibly on a line with Aaron Miller. And then you've got Jay that could be on that second line, but you know, the, the, the one thing that you and I were really uh, excited about uh, through the middle portion of last year was how that kid line looked yeah. when you had Preston, Stinnell, and Watts paired together. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to take place again. Are we going to have another kid line? Who knows? But uh, I, I think both of them could potentially get to that point in their careers. I mean, Braden was uh, Mr. Everything for the team. And unfortunately with that injury, it, it put a, him in a tough situation and he had that setback, but uh, he was what third in the league and scoring, if I'm not mistaken, when he got injured and unfortunately fell off the race for the MVP. If he doesn't get hurt, he could be in the top five. So yeah, I think Watts is a huge factor for this team and, and Jay with that leadership and being able to help close game this uh, out with the, his empty net uh, goals that he likes to score, but we'll have to wait and see how that translates. The king of the empty net, yeah. If you take you take uh, Braden Watts, you, you put Braden Watts in, and I think at one point last year he was on pace for ninety points, sixty three points in fifty games for Braden last year. He plays the full eighty two games at a point one point two six a game. You're looking at 100 points. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't think 70 is a bridge too far for Braden. Um, 80 maybe, but I think 70 is a reasonable goal. 70 to 75 points for Braden Watts uh, is a reasonable goal. I think Jay is, is that way as well. 61 points in 67 games last year for the big fella. And, you know, look. That that guy that is a guy who has improved year in and year out. And you take away his slow start to last year. Remember, he didn't have he had two assists in his first ten games last year. He didn't get going until the eleventh of of November against Tulsa when he racked up three points. You know, they're going to need more consistency from him, and he's definitely given it. But he's going to have to get off to a fast start if he's going to get to seventy. I don't think that there's any problem with that. Uh, especially if you put him with Aaron Miller to start. Both of those players know each other. Uh, they played back in college, and then you put him on the line with Jake Wallen. That's a dangerous, potentially, second line 
for Wichita there with uh, Miller and and Wallen centering and and Dickman on on a wing. Um, Peter Bates, you know, I think Coach told me a number um, earlier on Monday or on Tuesday where he thought maybe Bates could score forty goals. He was starting to feel it down the stretch. I mean, Peter was one of the most consistent uh, forwards last year, especially in the last three weeks. So I, I I wouldn't be surprised if he was able to do that. I, you know, you've kind of sparked something for me. I know we had the kid line last year. And if you do see Wallen, Dickman and Miller together, you know, all three of them playing in the state of Minnesota, I'm trying to think of a nickname, the mini line. I I don't know if that's good enough, but (laughs) that, that would be, Uh, uh, that would be line. The gopher line, maybe. The go- I, I, gopher line. Not, not, the three of them didn't play at the University of Minnesota. So They're all that from Minnesota, be... though. Okay. I don't know. Land Lakes line? No. I don't know. I could go with Land Lakes. Maybe we can come up with a contest. <laughs> maybe. You get you get Land Lakes line. I like that. Smooth like butter. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I almost. Uh, forgot about that you know i was thinking maybe watson miller but you, i wouldn't be surprised if he did have dickman on a line with Aaron. so we'll have to wait and see how that how that turns out yeah and, and and the other two forwards that i think we're forgetting about while we're talking about it matt is gavin gould and brett Boeing. these are two guys that were brought in late in the year yeah to try and help this team get to the postseason both of them are healthy now so can we see them take it to that next level um, and help have those solid two and three uh, lines that coach really talks about at this level? If you don't have, you know, a, a really strong third line, then you're going to struggle to win games. Yeah. Uh, to finish the year last year, uh, Gavin had um, some quick math here, had 10 points in his final 15 games last year for Wichita. And then uh, Peter Bates, Going back to his stat line, had 10 points, had 10 goals, beg your pardon, from the 9th of March to the end of the season. So uh, Peter Bates was red hot for the Thunder down the stretch. He had uh, six points in three games uh, uh, from the 5th of April to the 7th of April and then had a three-game goal streak streak, uh, from the 25th through the 31st of March. So both of those players, to your point, uh, I think are going to be huge additions uh, to the Thunder, getting to Brett Boeing, you talk about, talk about a guy you and I both did last year when we called games together, partner. But Brett Boeing was just snake bit, um, and you, I, I liked the chemistry that he had with Jason Pinio. There are a lot of different variations you could go with this roster. You could put Miller with Boeing and Pinio, but I don't think if you're Bruce Ramsey, you break up that Pinio Boeing combination right away. You start the season with them and see if they can regenerate that that uh, that muster that they had at the end of last season, where both of them, uh, while they didn't get on the score sheet on the goal side of it, on the offense they were still producing offense, and that line had considerable jump night in and night out. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a ton of depth up front. Uh, that really intrigues me. Uh, I don't think we've had this kind of depth since possibly the COVID year. Yeah. And I think, you know, that second or third unit can be really deadly for this team. And 
we'll have to wait and see kind of who he thinks fits with each other. But I, I, I completely agree with you. And then, you know, I think Pinio was a, a guy as well. That was a little bit snake bit, you know, down the stretch, he joined the team a little bit late too, but he, he could be uh, a surprise rookie that could find the back of the net and, and really be a factor for Wichita on that third or fourth, uh, third or fourth line. I'm not saying that he's not going to be in the top two units, but right. Again, we'll have to wait and see how the depth chart turns out and what coach likes to see in terms of the chemistry. Sure. And I mean, I think you and I both heard coach say this uh, at practice Tuesday morning, San Jose really loved him. Um, They loved his speed, his, his vision for the game, all of it. And it is, um, you know, you hope that he's able to uh, put together a solid rookie season. He's still a true rookie after all. Uh, only played 13 games, and he'll start the season as a rookie, uh, getting up to his 20, getting up to game number 25 as a pro after game number 12 of this coming season. Uh, so uh, I, I think if you're if you're a Thunder fan, you're hoping for something from Jason Pinio. Uh, like I said, a guy who plays with a rocket up his ass. He's so fast and has such good vision. Makes guys miss. That's, I think, what you want out of an elite skater, and he's definitely that. Uh, I'm I'm very excited to see him play. Yeah, I am too. I am too. The other guy I, I was intrigued besides, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about Bradley Merrick. Yeah. Um, I think Devin Skaletsky, uh impressed me from what I saw. I, I think he's got pretty good hands and, and some good speed. Mm-hmm. Um, what the <laughs> – like you mentioned that he's got a ton of tough decisions down uh, towards the bottom of the roster in terms of the forward group. And, right. you know, if there's any other forwards sent down from San Jose, that's going to make it even tougher. But I, I think yeah. Skaletsky could be a guy that turns out to be a pretty good rookie. Yeah. Uh, had 27 points in his final season in 27 games played at the university of Manitoba did not play in the 2020, 21 season, uh, the COVID season. So he was, uh, a fifth-year senior there at the University of Manitoba, just coming out of college, a 26-year-old uh, right winger, and yeah, I saw a lot of him in in camp as well on Monday morning or a Tuesday morning. So, uh, yeah, so a lot of tough decisions here. Um, I don't want to pin you to a number, a hard number, but if I give you the number of wins for Wichita and I set it at, um looking at what the playoff at the, at the final team who made the playoffs last year, what their, um, what their record was at the end of last season. And are you talking about Utah or are yes, you talking about the Thunder? I'm, I'm talking about Utah. Cause I had to look okay. up how many, how many games they won. I give you the number 35 for wins. Are you taking the over or are you taking the under for Wichita? Wow. You, you put me in a tough spot. I'm not saying that I don't think this team has what it takes. Um, it's really hard to predict that one day into camp and sure. not knowing what some of the other teams in the division have. But right. Right. I, I would venture to say I think he can get to the over. Now, I think in looking at some of these other rosters, uh, I, 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 the, the Mountain Division has always been a tough division. 
you know yeah the, the one thing that the thunder have going for them this year matt is only having to play utah and idaho a couple of times uh, right. you don't have idaho coming to wichita at all so you don't have to deal with the team that set the record last year so uh, even though i think the scheduling portion of it and trying to catch a team potentially that you're battling for a playoff spot seems uh crazy to me that you only see them three times on the other side of the fence you don't play them inside interest bank arena at all so that could help the thunder in terms of trying to get extra victories now i, I think some of the other teams that the thunder play uh, are going to be interesting to watch because wichita's got cincinnati a couple of times and then also having to see Fort Wayne and both those teams made the playoffs last year. So in, in terms of inside division, I think the thunder can, can get there. It's going to depend on how they do with some of these other out of division opponents, Wichita last year struggled outside of the mountain division. Mm -hmm. And not only that, you're going to play South Carolina who was not very good last year either. Yeah. I, I think the number for thunder fans to look at is um i i think if i think i think for wichita to get to that 35 win number they're gonna have to win probably more than half of their games against kansas city who they will see three straight times to open it up they'll play they'll host the mavericks next friday night and then they'll go to kansas city for a game saturday and then another game the following tuesday up there and then it's a four game week uh, for the Thunder. They play at Kansas City, then home for Cincinnati, Iowa, and Iowa to finish out the month of October here at Interest Bank Arena before they go on the road for that six game, 12 day trip to Utah and Idaho. So um, a lot of your rivals are Kansas City, Tulsa, Allen. You're going to see a steady diet of those teams. Can you win 58? to 60% of those games against those teams. If the Thunder do, I think regardless of what happens with Idaho and Utah, the Thunder are a playoff team. Um, considering that they only play Utah four times all year and they only play Idaho six, all of those being in Idaho. So um, I, I think the Thunder can get there. I think they're plenty deep up front uh, and I, I don't think they have a goaltender that's a flight risk this year. I think Trevor Gorsuch is a is going to be that goaltender who stays the entire year. He's not been sh he's not shown to leave uh, teams very often. Um, and considering what you get from from San Jose goaltending wise, unless they have a rash of injuries in that position, you probably see Beckwarm most of the year here in Wichita with a steady diet of either Magnus Krono or uh, Georgi Romanoff coming down to the Thunder. At least that's, if you read in the, if you read between the lines of what Nick Nollenberger said in our conversation a few minutes ago. So based on that, and based on the fact that this Thunder, that we have most of the Thunder D, uh, offense back from last year and a pretty physical defense I think the Thunder can get there. I think it's going to be tough, but this mountain division has always been a slobber knocker. So um, I, I think 35 to 40 wins is a reasonable, good guess, initial guess for Wichita. Can they take it 
to 41 to 45? Absolutely. Um, I don't, do I see this as a playoff team? Again, we're only at day one of camp, but the initial thought that I've always had looking at this roster is that, yes, this is probably a camp, a playoff team, but I want to get into, uh, I want to get into this conversation when they come back from Idaho and Utah and see where this team is at, because then they will be 10 games, 10 to 12 games into the schedule and you'll have a really good idea of what you have with this roster. Yeah, and I think you make a really good point. You know, you play every year a majority of your schedule against those three teams, and then let's not forget about Rapid City. So, um, you know, Wichita's got to be able to win a majority of the games and win those head-to-head matchups. And one team that you and I have talked about over the last couple of years that the Thunder really struggled against is is Tulsa. You know, the Thunder have not been able to defeat the Oilers for whatever reason. And and Tulsa was not a very good team last year. And I think they've improved their roster. Um, You know, they got a guy like Ryan Olsen, who used to play for the Colorado Eagles a couple of years ago, went overseas and a really good vet for them. And they get Mike McKee back. So who knows what what you're going to see with Tulsa. The biggest question mark with the Oilers has always been their goaltending has not been what it needs to be to get to uh, a championship. And then you've got an Allen team that has uh, a ton of uh, question marks, even though I think they have a pretty good nucleus in terms of their roster, but Jack Combs retired, you know, and they've got a couple of other guys that are very talented players, but they lost one of their best players to the American hockey league. It was what rookie of the year. So yeah. uh, who knows yeah. what you're going to see out of the Allen Americans in rapid city. I'm not a hundred percent sure they're going to be able to replicate the amount of offense they had last year, but I think they got better on the blue line and we'll see what they have in net. So it'll be fun to watch. I I do agree with you. I think the thunder can get there, but uh, we'll have to wait and see how the rest of camp turns out. Matt Marcineau and Allen scares me um, because he's the replacement for Jack Combs um, in, in theory. And they could potentially get Hank Crone back from Chicago, whether he stays up there all season or not. Now, Chicago's a lone wolf, and I think that that story has been well-documented. Um, Chicago being a lone wolf, I, I doubt you see Hank Crone come down, but wouldn't surprise me. And if he does, he's probably right back to where he was at before. However, I do want to say this. Kansas City did a really good job of shutting him down in the playoff series last year. It was only because they had timely scoring from the blue line and players not named Hank Crone that Allen was able to advance only to get dusted by Idaho. So um, Allen scares me a little bit, but only because Matt Marcineau has killed the Thunder and he's going to have quite a bit more opportunities to do that. Um, Tulsa's Tulsa. And if you can figure out how Tulsa has been able to defeat the Thunder uh, more years than not in that season series, then you probably need to be sitting on this side of the mic as opposed to sitting in the stands. Um, and and to that end, Kansas City, um, you know, half their team was sent down from Coachella Valley, and that's a dangerous game to play if you're Tato had. Um, what happens if they end up having a rash of injuries? Not only there. But at but in the Seattle organ, but further up with the Kraken, 
uh, as well. So uh, there could be a whole uh, wave of, of things that happen there with Kansas City going forward uh, of this year. And it's you know obviously going to be another big year for the OHAD crowd up there in, in Kansas City to put it all together and uh, make the playoffs. So um, Utah is Utah. I think they're going to be there. Um, they, they have like 47 players sent down from the Colorado Eagles. So Utah is going to be good. Idaho is going to be good. Um, I don't worry about those teams. Rapid City, to your point, I think you know they are going to have a hard time duplicating the op- offense that they had. Um, and they still have the same goaltenders that they had last year uh, in the Wranglers organization. So they're going to really have to tighten up that position before I think they do anything uh, going forward. I could see easily Rapid City having another 500 or sub-500 year. In terms of Kansas City, you know, they just uh, announced earlier today four guys that were added to their roster, but, you know, they have to replace the amount of time that, um, you know, is left in net by the absence of um, Shane Starrett. Shane Starrett. I mean, Shane goes over to Providence, so uh, that that's a question mark for them. I don't know much about Jackson Caster just yet, and I don't I haven't really had an opportunity to look over, you know, their roster. So I don't want to speak out of turn here, Matt. But that's certainly uh, something to to look out for. But I I do like some of the additions that they made in the off season. So I think Kansas City could be a factor. But like you said, I mean Idaho and Utah. Uh, are, are always going to be there. Idaho returns a good amount of their core from, from last year. And they got a couple of players sent down today as we record this interview from the Dallas stars. So we'll have to wait and see kind of how this turns out. I, I think it'll be another battle. And the, the one thing that I've always been told, even during the Malcolm Cameron days, that in order for you to make, uh, the playoffs, you got to get off to a good start in the first half of the season. I, yes. I know that you've had the the math in regards to that over the last couple of years. And unfortunately it didn't work out for the thunder. Um, I think it, would you say by Thanksgiving or right around Christmas break, when by Thanksgiving, you're in a playoff position by Thanksgiving, if you're in a playoff position, you make teams that are in a playoff position at Thanksgiving, make the playoffs 80 80- 80 to 85 percent of the time in the ECH. So that that that's an interesting mark that we'll have to keep our eye on. Yeah, and the Thunder were in a playoff position last year at Thanksgiving and did not make it. And I honestly believe, and I think as you do, and probably every Thunder fan who's in the know would believe that if you finish the season with Trevor Gorsuch, you you, you go out and you immediately pick him up as opposed to having the swinging door of goaltenders to replace Evan Beitenheis, uh, I think that this Thunder Club is potentially wins a round in the playoffs, not just gets in the playoffs. I think they could potentially win to, have won a round in the playoffs and, and, and gave Idaho at least something to think about uh, as they head to the Western Conference Finals. So, uh, yeah, 80, 80 to 85% of the time, if you're in a playoff position at Thanksgiving, you're making the playoffs. Should be fun. Yes. Uh, it's just crazy that we're already talking about almost Halloween. Yes. I, I, I don't even know where the time went. Stop. Sorry. <laughs> just stop talking about time. No, I get it. No, it, you, it's... you better get your Halloween candy out. 
I don't have any mm-hmm. Halloween candy. We don't hand it out. We don't have anybody in the neighborhood who comes by the the chateau and asks. Chateau for Harding doesn't have any kids that stop at the front door. We do not. Is it because the dogs bark and yell and no. scream and keep them away? No. Okay. No. I'll no. take your word for because it. Because I eat all the candy. <laughs> no. That's why I don't buy the Halloween candy because I'd probably eat the whole bag. That's true. Full candy that bars is- only. You know, it's funny. We're having this conversation. I know this has nothing to do with Thunder Hockey, but I was talking to my daughter Mm -hmm. um, about a week and a half ago. And I said, are you dressing up at school for Halloween? She's a sophomore now, right? Yeah. And she goes, I have no plans. And I'm just thinking to myself, what? Thank God. (laughs) As somebody like I got told at 12 to start to stop trick or treating. Honestly. Like I, I saw a question about that on Facebook the other day. Like, what's the what's the appropriate age to stop trick or treating? And I, being the smart ass that I am, I put sixty nine and got got a whole bunch of laugh emojis. Um, but and I'll let you figure out why. But um, <laughs> twelve to thirteen years old feels to me like the right time to stop asking for candy. If you can go out and buy candy, you probably don't need to go to somebody's door and ask for it. Um, <laughs> so good on Hannah for recognizing that. Um, and by the way, time can slow down because she is getting, she's, she's getting to be a handful, brother. I appreciate the, uh, <laughs> I appreciate the knowledge. Trust me. Yeah. In yeah. fact, you know what she said to me last week or the last time we were recording the podcast? She wanted to know why Hannah Miles was not included. <laughs> well, oh, tell her, tell she's her. now a big time broadcaster. She's going to come take my job. So. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. So tell her she can. She's welcome on the pod anytime. And we're going to do intermissions with her again this year. Is that right? I believe she is planning on whenever she's at the game. Um, you know, she's not going to be at the at the first couple of games because she is the broadcaster for Valley Center football. Okay. And travels with the team. So oh, cool. the, the our opening night, she will not be there. And then the following weekend, uh, I know for a fact she will not be there that Friday. I don't know about that Saturday. Okay. Well, that's cool. That is that's really cool that Valley Center uh was able to give her an opportunity like that. That is, that's really cool. So I appreciate that. Yeah. She's, she's, uh, you know, the funny thing about that. And again, I don't mean to completely take this off topic, but you're good. Uh, we were driving home the other day and her mom was really happy with, you know, her progress. And she asked me if I should help her out. And I said, well, she's told me numerous times that this is her thing. So I said to her, do you want my advice? And she said, no. And I said, okay, is it because it's your thing? And I, and she said, yeah. And I said, I'm here if you need help, but I'm not going to get in the way. So she has no interest in talking to dad. Maybe it's because I'm dad. I don't know if that's the reason, but you know, that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. They don't want advice anyway. We were like, we were like that once upon a time. I guess that's how teenagers are, right? That's right. That's right. That's why I said we were there once upon a time. We know. So yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So Anywho. Yes. And, and oh, by the way, uh, you and I were talking about this at, at camp. Um, I 
have committed the sin of all hockey sins <laughs> and not watched the uh, Herb Brooks movie that you love so much. <laughs> okay. So there it is. I, I came out and <laughs> to be honest, this is how bad of a hockey fan I am. And if you want to turn it off, well, you've already logged an hour and a half plus. So go ahead and turn it off. But I don't even know the name of the movie. <laughs> what I do know is what I do know is that I was able to watch the banners being raised and the trophy skated on the ice when I was nine years old when the Thunder won the second CHL championship and Mighty Ducks one, two, and three got me into hockey. All of that got me into hockey. Okay. So I don't need her Brooks. Well, the the reason this came up is because I was using the line from the movie where he says the legs feed the wolves and you had no idea what I was talking about. That's right. Because, you know, coach was making them skate do, huh? Skate. Yes. (laughs) They were doing a lot of length uh, end to end type drills where, you know, you're going from one blue line to the, to the next. And I guess the, the point of this being that, I had mentioned that uh, quote and you didn't know it, but look, the one thing I don't want to give you a hard time with, I tried watching that movie with, with Hannah and she had no interest in watching the, the full movie. So you're, you're not alone. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny. <laughs> well, because it's, it's funny because she's into hockey and didn't have any interest in it well i guess she probably doesn't understand the historical context that you and i do yeah and and why i enjoy watching that so much yeah no i get it and i i completely understand i completely get it like and and i i understand i i get the historical context of it but i'm sorry i just have to lay it at the altar of the hockey gods that i'm just not a fan of miracle just not a fan of miracle just have never watched it and maybe and maybe I've I've got some time now. Maybe I need to maybe I need to sit down and log some time with it. Maybe I need to come over, bring some popcorn, we can watch Miracle. I will. Then we can call some games while we're sitting I'm, at the at the Chateau des Malls. Yes, but I will not come over on the same couch and cuddle with you. So Nope. That's my couch. You stay that, on that, your you, couch. You can have your wife do that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> oh right, goodness right, gracious. Brother. Always good time to do this with you. Thanks so much for uh, chipping in some time here uh, as we begin to preview the 23-24 Wichita Thunder. We'll have a little bit more of a written preview for you on fieldpasshockey.com. That will come out next week with our uh, Mountain Division previews. Uh, We're working on those right now. We'll have those for you coming out soon. So uh, that is going to do it here for our episode. Thanks very much to Nick Nollenberger for joining us. Thank you, Malsey. And thank you to you for listening and supporting the podcast. And we will see you at the hockey rink. Hockey season is fast approaching. We'll see you in Interest Bank Arena on October 20th when the Thunder and Kansas City Mavericks get it on. Until then, be well, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Listen to each Wichita Thunder game as well as games throughout minor league hockey by downloading the Field Pass Hockey app, available now in the Apple and Google Play stores.